Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. I almost messed that up. Dude, I know. Sometimes I, I almost really... said where we encourage you to rage on. Sometimes I really like have to think about it. Like yeah. almost every time I almost mess it up. Well, do you remember when I did mess it up? Yes, I do. <laughs> Enter that audio here. I mean, I've definitely messed it up before, too. Like, I've definitely messed Not it up. Not like that, where I just didn't say anything. Yeah. I just was like... And, uh, um, I usually <laughs> say the wrong thing, and then we do it again. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, guys, well, so, you, do you remember, like, way back, like, seven months ago when we started this podcast? Yeah. And we would record two episodes in a night? Yes. Well, we're back to that. Yeah, we're back to that. So, I just think our schedules are such that this, this makes the most sense. Well, and also, we want to we wanna start bringing you guys more content and more things. So, in order to do that, we kind of need to, like... Cram it in. Do most of our shit in one day. Yeah. And I think that our second episode that we do is always just a little... More fun. So we are back at our two episodes a night routine, and we're going to come at you with some of this week's stuff, because if you didn't know already, you're listening to the mini episode, which is our What's in the News episode, which is where we tell you guys things about things that we read in the news. Right. And I will start this off by saying that the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings are still going on right now. I am kind of tuning in and out of those. I'm yeah. not paying a ton of attention because I think, and not to be a Debbie Downer or start this on a, on a down note, but like, I think it's pretty inevitable that even though he is highly unqualified, that he will be confirmed. And that bums me out super fucking hard because... It's hard to watch something when you know that it's like right. going down. And you know that like... We will be losing some of our rights. It just depends yeah. on which ones, as as <laughs> as women particularly. But anyway, so we're going to move on from that. When when and, and if when I guess there is a result from that, then we, we will, we will absolutely it. talk about it and talk about the um, worrisome effects that that might have for us. But in the meantime, we're going to move on to something else. Let's talk about tennis. Let's talk about tennis. Let's talk about tennis. My favorite sport. I love Serena. Not a fan of tennis. Love Serena. Love Venus. I love playing tennis. I I like badminton. Oh, really? We would always say badminton and gym. Those are all good for me. Tennis is like it's a heavier ball. It's a little bit more aggressive. I don't have a lot of upper body strength. Tennis is if you want a workout. Like, tennis is a fucking workout. Like, you actually, like, run and, you know. Nah. But I've I enjoy never, I enjoy tennis. I've never played tennis. Yeah. I've never had a tennis lesson. I've never done any of that stuff. But boy, do I love Serena Williams. I do too. And boy, do I still think so highly of her. Um, me too. Okay, so we are going to talk a little bit about the U.S. Open and yep. what happened here. We, we covered this at the final. At the final, um, we talked we talked about the U.S. Open a while ago about her cat suit and her tutu, oh, yeah. yep. um, which are badass moves that Serena made. Yes. Well. Okay, so she's at the final, and she yeah. is playing a... She's 20 years old? A 20-year-old. Her opponent is uh, Naomi Osaka. Yep. And... Who, by the way, Serena is amazing. Williams is amazing. And Serena Williams is, like, 
her hero. Right. And I just think of that, you know, everything for me always comes back to figure skating when I think of sports. Right. And it's like there's, I, I love hearing about, like, I remember when Sasha Cohen was young and she was competing against Michelle Kwan and it was like this, oh my God, I'm like on the same mice as my hero. Right. You get like starstruck, you And know? I will say everything about this was just such a shit show. It could have it could have gone great either it, way yes. because it could have been Serena Williams is amazing, and her opponent is Japanese. Like it was, it was such a great. Or she's, she's Jap- from Japan. She's but Japanese she's other things too. Haitian. She's, yeah, she's half black, half Japanese. So like either way, there is such a great. There's such great like representation there. Yeah, um, which I will say though, I want to so say ugly. it annoyed the shit out of me that people kept referring to her as just Japanese because I'm yeah. like she's half black though. Yeah. Like, oh, and then did you hear about the cartoon that they drew? Of her, where oh. they, they drew her as a blonde woman. They drew her when Serena Williams a, looks fucking horrible. They that that uh, cartoon is super racist. We can mm-hmm. put it in uh, with this episode so that you guys can yeah. see it on our Instagram. But so yeah, it should have been the greatest of all time up against this amazing up and coming. Um, yeah. Tennis player, she's inc- like Naomi. It's Osaka. totally like the rookie versus like the veteran, right? You and, know? and both extremely talented. Like, yeah. um, who was it? Billie Jean King, I think, said that Naomi Osaka is like the future of the sport. Like, yeah. she's like she's gonna be the one who takes us into the next level of yeah, the sport. Definitely. So that's what you're watching, and it should have been something so positive and incredible. Yeah. And instead. And I'm not sitting here saying that I'm advocating for um, having, like, emotional outbursts of this magnitude. I'm not. But the fucking ref, or the umpire, whatever he's called. The umpire, yeah. He was so... I think he just had it out for her. Like, he was nitpicking her so hard. I think he does, too. But can I... Can I interject a little bit on yes. the sexism? Because of we course. talk about emotional outbursts. Yes. So, let me find these tweets. James Blake, who I believe is a retired tennis player. I read a lot of stuff today and I can't remember everything. And he he tweets... Actually, first of all, I should say an ESPN writer, Ramona Shelburne, tweets, Would be nice if some of Serena's male counterparts had her back and admitted they've said a lot worse to the umpire. Absolutely. I know I've heard a lot worse from the NBA players directed at refs. Oh, for sure. James Blake tweets, I will admit I have said worse and not gotten penalized. I've also been given a quote-unquote soft warning by an ump where they tell you to knock it off or I will have to give you a violation. He should have at least given her that courtesy. Sad tomorrow, well played final that way. Right. I mean, and yeah. And so what I, when I said that I wasn't trying to make that gendered, like I, to me, when John McEnroe went off, like that, that shit wasn't okay either. Right. There should have been something that... Um, right. It shouldn't be sexist if an out, if an outburst is an outburst. And I'm, I'm kind of going out of my order of notes a little bit, but I love Trevor Noah, and he said some oh, really yeah. amazing He's things. He's amazing. So he says, it's been interesting to see how the discussion has evolved. People on one side like, Serena loses it on the court. Loses it. She's hysterical. She Oh, she lost it. And it's like, yo, we never say that about NBA players. We never say that when LeBron is fighting about a foul. Right. He's like, I thought that was a foul. I never, we say LeBron, we never say LeBron lost it. 
Right. When baseball players rush the umpire, they're never like, they had a meltdown. Look at all of them throwing a tantrum. They're just like, it got really passionate. Look at the passion in the game. Tempers right. flaring. Then when Serena, then with Serena, they're like, she needs to calm down. She's lost. It's like, yo, what's a sportsman or sportswoman will do in a game? I think it's both. I think it is both sexist and yeah. racist. I think there is like an underlying tone of black women are loud and angry and, yeah. and um, you know, whenever black women express... They're seen as being dangerous and violent. Right. Yeah. Or, or just like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, she's out of control. Yeah. Whenever it's just an average expression of anger and yeah. it's something that also... And standing up for yourself. When you're dealing with athletes at this high of a level, you're yeah. in the final. There's a lot of adrenaline. It is not unusual. I mean, look at the way that men in or people in um, video game competitions lose their yeah. shit when they lose yeah. a game. Yeah. Look at that. And yeah. this is magnified times 100 plus the feeling of being treated unfairly because yeah. his calls were so fucking nitpicky. Unfair. They were just nitpicking yeah. on every little thing she did wrong. Right. And when she called him a thief... Yeah, he, he had another violation. Yeah, just so... To kind of finish Trevor Noah's quotes, he says, We're not living in a world where people are treated the same. I'm not saying that Serena shouldn't be punished. I'm saying it the other way around. It's the other way around. I'm saying now the focus is on the guys. Why aren't they being punished? I agree. And then he adds a little bit of comedy where he says, Either everyone fights or everyone gets punished. Now, I personally think everyone should fight. I think it's more fun. I want to see rackets smash. I want to see people dissing empires. Empires? Umpires. Umpires. Um, I, <laughs> just saying empires. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I was saying, is not that, it's not that, it's that it should be all or nothing. It's like, it should be equal. Yeah. If if you're going to let other people get away with these kinds of outbursts where they're literally breaking rackets on the field. You shouldn't be or on the punishing court. women or people who are not men, you know, any color and whatever. I just but, think it's awful. And then drawing cartoons about them. I don't know. The right. whole thing to me just seems really, well, like, and I think I'm, so blown out of proportion. I think we're also extra sensitive to it because the way... Can you... When was the last time you ever saw someone who was the greatest in their sport being treated this way? Like, the way that Serena Never. is treated is unbelievable. Like, yeah. she... At She's every so turn, At every turn. She can't turn, do anything right. No. And so, um, to further what happened here, the when Osaka won, it was just kind of devastating because the crowd booed. Yeah. Because they were upset that Serena didn't win, which totally takes away from the joy that this this twenty year old incredible tennis player should have felt. And then Serena did something wonderful. Tell but, us. But then Serena calmed the crowd down. Yeah. She tried to get them to stop booing, and yeah. she went and comforted Osaka. Yeah, it was beautiful. It, it's beautiful, but also I just feel... Because she... It made my... It hurt my heart because this woman just... It's her first U.S. Open. She... She beat the greatest. She beat the greatest. Yeah. And granted, like, some shitty circumstances, yeah. but she... Got named it's the not winner. Her fault. It's not her fault. She got named the winner and she cried. Yeah. And not of happiness. Like she cried because people she, were booing. She was her. upset. Yeah. And to add, you know, insult to injury here, to put some salt in the wound, you know, so sh she had three violations. One of them was because they said that she was being coached, which is like, I'm sorry. Like, that's what a coach is for. I don't, I don't know tennis. Yeah. She but was like, talking to her coach on the court. Like, is that, is that like, I don't know. I like, guess. 
I don't understand. And then she broke her racket, which was another violation, and then she called the umpire Ramos a thief, and that was another violation for verbal abuse. And um, so on Sunday, the United States Tennis Association said that Williams was fined with $17,000 for the Fuck game. Fuck off. $4,000 for the coaching warning, 3000 for smashing her racket, and 10000 for the verbal abuse. $10,000 for verbal abuse for calling somebody a thief. That's when he was being really unfair, too. He was being it's not really like she unfair. was out of line. And it's a thief. She's not like, you, you fucking asshole. Right. She said, you're being a thief. You're taking my point from me. Right. Yeah. That, to me, you know... In a highly competitive environment. Like, yeah. she's trying to win. She's a, she's a, an athlete. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just thought the whole situation was disgraceful in every way. And I felt... I I feel for Serena because it sucks to have to defend yourself all the time whenever yeah. you are the greatest of all time, really. And then it yeah. also sucks for, for Osaka. Yeah. Like, it's just like, that sucks for you because, man... This should have been one of the happiest nights of your life. Yeah. And it was rudely taken from like, you. Like, it's such a Kanye Taylor Swift moment. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm totally uh, kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, um, I have to pee really badly. Can I be right back? Yeah, let's pause. Okay. I so, feel better. Yeah? My bladder is empty. Good. It's fine. Um, on to some positive news. Good. John Legend is <gasps> the first black man and only second black person ever. Ever to EGOT. And the youngest. Um, he's not quite the youngest. He's what? A, he's I heard a, he was the youngest. He's the second youngest. He oh. missed uh, the youngest by eight months. He's eight months older than the youngest to oh. ever EGOT. So if you guys don't know, EGOTing means that he has now an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Yeah. Like that dude does not get credit where credit is worth. I feel like he's not, like, sensationalized enough in, like, celebrity culture, which I think is really good for him personally. But, like, we need to give credit where credit is due of, like, the just unbelievable talent that guy has. Like, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. He can do fucking anything. Like, I love Chrissy Teigen, and I love following her because she always, like... She's hilarious. She, like, drops him down a peg and all these things, yet she just constantly is like, what can't this man do? Right. I mean, if those two ever split up, I'm going to be devastated. <laughs> just, I'm like, I don't believe in love anymore if they're, the two of you split up. They're great. But also, at the same time, if they do split up, I, I feel like both of them are such, like, wonderful, mature people that it would be uh, like, they'd it just wasn't working anymore. So, we, you be, know what I mean? It would be, like, such an amicable, like, wonderful It would thing. be a Bruce Willis, Demi Moore situation where yeah. they, like, co-parent and, like, like are, they all have things giving together and it's all good and um, like, I mean I just I love John Legend and it's funny because he won this Emmy for his performance in Jesus Christ Superstar I think it was actually for his producing it was, credit oh, it's true I forgot yeah, about that so, but he he played Jesus yes he did and I've never seen Jesus Christ Superstar but Ugh. the kid that I nanny for became mm. obsessed with it and I was watching it like all the time and like Fucking love I just that guy. Love him. There's Ugh. another guy in that show that I really, really like too. I love him. But um, so he is just so unbelievable. I love him. He joins only 14 others mm-hmm. who have received this, which to me, including 14, like Audrey Hepburn and what was another uh, and Barbara Streisand, uh, Mel like, Brooks, Richard Rogers. So it, I mean, but to me, 14 seems low. It's like very that's low. not a lot of people at all. No. Um, and a, some of the people on the list who I don't know if they're including in this 14 or not, but like Audrey Hepburn for example, a couple of her awards were awarded uh, posthumously, like after Mm -hmm. she died. And then when it says that he's only one of two to EGOT, there are other people 
on the list, but they they had honorary rewards. Like they had like awards. They had like honorary lifetime achievement. Yeah, like that kind of thing. Oscars and things like that. Yeah. Um, whereas he earned all of his through projects that he actually yeah. worked on. He's like a hustler. My God. And he and I feel like that was like a goal for him because he's like, I'm gonna take this part because this is bringing me into television and this is bringing me like I feel like he wants to be a part of everything and be the best at everything because he wants to keep pushing himself to be better and better. Yeah. So he is the second youngest to um achieve the Who's award the youngest, you know the youngest was a gu- one of the guys from the book of mormon oh, okay. uh, i don't remember his name but he was the youngest but i mean only by eight months like this yeah. guy is eight um john legend is eight months older than he, he was at the time that he got yeah. he, his egot um and he achieved it in the second fastest time so yeah it was quick yeah from the time he got his gram it took him 12 years but that's not a long time to win these awards someone who is primarily seen as being a singer right to get a grammy and then like his oscar was only about two years ago um something like that so it was selma it was selma so 12 years ago he got his first grammy win in 2006 as best new artist um and then he went on to win nine other grammys so this is a guy who has 10 grammys yeah um and then he got an emmy just a couple of days ago was that yesterday as the producer no i think it was two days ago jesus christ superstar um he has an Oscar for the song Glory in the movie Selma. Yep. And he has a Tony for his producing credit in the musical Jitney. So, cheers to you. Yeah. I Raw love you. fucking vote. You have been our um, Feminist Bay Friday. Yep. A couple of times, or just one time, but we love you. We could you. do it again. We could totally. Um, we- and because I just need to join in with Chrissy Teigen. Hey, what a wonderful kind of day. Because people say he looks like Arthur. Oh, that's so cute. I know. This, have you seen the picture of Luna, his daughter, like, holding a stuffed Arthur? No, but I love it. Uh, Arthur, you guys. Okay, quick fact about Madigan. I watched Arthur every morning in oh, bed I with my mom. after school. No, I watched it before. So my routine in the morning from when I was, like, five until I was probably even in, like, fifth grade and I would watch it by myself because I was just so used to having it on is that I would crawl into bed with my mom and dad, I would have chocolate milk, and I would sip on my chocolate milk, and I would watch Arthur, and then I would get ready for school. Mm-hmm. Every morning. And it was like, I've seen... I loved it. I've seen it all. I didn't have cable growing up, so it was almost all PBS. All the PBS, Like, yeah. I watched Arthur, and Clifford then... Clifford the Big Red Dog? I watched Between Clifford the, the Big Red Dog. Between the Lions. Reading I, Rainbow? I watched Reading Rainbow. <laughs> Sorry. Um, one of my favorite moments in my adult life was I went to the Geekies, the Geeky Awards and got to see, they awarded LeVar Burton a <gasps> um, award and I got to see him on stage and hear him sing me the Reading Rainbow song. <gasps> like, it live. So that was amazing. <sighs> but Did you ever watch Community? Because they have a whole thing about, like, LeVar Burton. I Community. started so Community. I liked the first, like, two seasons and then I kind of, like, oh, fell okay. off of it. Not that, it means a good show. But, yeah, man, PBS, I watched... All of those shows, I would rush Same. home to watch like Zoom, <gasps> um, Dragonfly, uh, or um, Dragon Tales, Dragon Tales, Boomafu. Oh wait, real quick, can I tell you my personal PBS story? Yes. Do you remember Dragonfly TV? Mm-mm. So it would have different, like it would highlight on certain, like you know, young kids in science or young athletes or young things, like, people like that, mm-hmm. and they would they would like highlight them and tell their stories. PBS sought me out when I was, like, eight years old, and I had just started competing in skating, and they wanted me to be part of Dragonfly TV. 
So it was like me and a couple other people. And um, I guess they were doing it all over the city as well. And so I just remember them interviewing me and like, I'm a little kid and I don't understand that like I'm supposed to come off as my best self. They're like, what do you eat before you go to skating? I'm like, ramen noodles and snicker bars, like whatever. I'm eight years old. And they're like, what do you like? Like they're asking me all these questions. They're like, we're not going to air that. (laughs) No, well, like this is just like the audition basically. And then then they had me skate for them and this whole thing. And like they came up to my mom and they were like really interested in me. And it was this whole thing. And then I, Turns out they choose somebody else. Like, we just never heard from them. And then it's funny because years later, I switched skating clubs. And I I heard one of these kids mention Dragonfly TV. And I went back and looked it up on YouTube. And it's these two kids that were, like, nationally ranked skaters who got it. Which makes sense. But I was so butthurt. I'm like, they liked me first. So that's my own... They gave me some, like, squishy toy or something like that. Like, it was just such a slap in the face to, like, young Maddie you just know, being, like, You know what's you. weird is that I have my own PBS story that <gasps> I kind of... I didn't forget about it, but I forgot it was PBS-related. They had a nationwide competition um, for writing your own, like, children's book. They yeah. had kids write children's books. Yeah. And I wrote one, and it was it was all about you had to write it and illustrate it and i got like third place and it was congratulations thanks i wonder if i can find it they like made you a hard copy and then you all like met at a um barnes and noble and they like you got to like read your book wow yeah and it was like um my brother's name is christian my older brother and it was the day that christian cleaned his room and it was like all of the things that he found like under his bed and like in his closet genius i mean I've not done anything with it, so here we are. You should. Here we are with my genius. You should. In a closet recording a podcast. I think that, um. <laughs> I think that we are perpetuating the genius. God, I really but, should write yeah, children's I always books. wanted to be on that, like, uh, in between the Arthur episodes where they would show, like, the kids in the classrooms yes. and stuff. I remember once I got in trouble because... I would start, like, humming, like, background music when I would do things in school. Like, my teacher would be reading, and be like... And she'd be like, Maddie. Like, I'm sorry, does background music not just happen in life? <laughs> I love PBS, man. I could Me gush too. about PBS all day. I mean, it's almost worth having a child just to have them watch PBS. Just watch um, PBS anyway. <laughs> all right, so that's our, our... That was PBS corner <laughs> that we went off on right now. <laughs> Thank you, John Legend, for bringing us to PBS. So Also, congrats, John Legend. Con- I mean, like, you're cool. It's fine. Uh, so now, usually we end on a positive. Today, we're going to end on a somewhat sad note. Just reflective, I feel like. Reflective, thank you. So, 17 years ago today, because we are recording on Tuesday. 17 fucking years, Can you believe that? That's insanity. That's crazy. I feel a million years old. I agree. But 17 years ago, September 11, 2001, there was a horrible tragedy in the United States where uh, two planes hit the Twin Towers and they collapsed and a plane also hit the Pentagon. And nearly 3,000 people died um, in the Twin Which is Towers. a massive number. I it feel like sometimes people don't realize massive number. how many... I remember the first time it really sunk into me, like, 3,000 people. Yeah. Like that, and at the time, I was living in a small town where that's the population of the town yeah. I was living in at the Definitely. time. Like, that's the entire town gone. Definitely. And... Um, the attack was planned by Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden, and, spoiler alert, bin Laden was killed on May 
in May of 2011, so a decade after, a little bit over a decade after the event happened, and uh, he was killed, he was found during a U.S. military operation ordered by President Obama. That was one of the big things that Obama did during his presidency, was that he found Osama bin Laden, which I remember the big joke at the time being, like, he played the best game of hide-and-seek. Yeah. Like, he did. I mean, he stayed hidden for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, so. and a side note, if you want to learn a little bit more about Osama bin Laden and also, like, what they found when they found him, yeah. there is a Behind the Bastards episode on Osama <gasps> bin Laden, and it is so bizarre because you're basically like, all right, this was kind of like a... It, it doesn't... You, you think of Osama bin Laden, especially us, because we grew up with 9-11 as yeah. young kids. Like, you think of him as being this kind of, like, genius or something. Yeah. And he he wasn't. Yeah. You know? He was just kind of... I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, listen to it. Um, And then also, they go into detail about the things that were, like, in his bunker yeah. with him, which you're like, Whoa, interesting shit. So... Uh, the reason, I mean, not only do I not want us to forget, because hashtag never forget is something that happens every year around yeah. this time, because I think it, it really is important, and it's of important course. to be teaching the kids who weren't alive during this time, because it, it was a time where suddenly our safety and our way of life and this, you know, comfortability, I feel like, was taken from us. It was forever altered. It yeah. was forever, and, and you know... The way you go to an airport. It the, totally... There's so many things yeah. that, that have changed because of that and the way things are different. Yeah. It occurred to me today that, like, I was 11 when 9-11 happened, and it occurred to me that my brothers, who... Um, Maceo was born in August of 1999, and then Bishop was born in January of 2001... Neither one of them have ever experienced going to the airport without the TSA. Yeah, it's, you know? it's interesting, and it's good that we made those changes. But it is interesting how how our it's life changed. changed forever. Yeah, and we have talked about in the past about the uh, how we are like the, really the nostalgic generation because we remember right. a time that was different, and how nine eleven psychologically, whether we want to believe it or not, has changed us mentally. And it is weird because I was from Minnesota, and it, it happened to me so far away. Well, I was in Missouri, and I didn't, but it didn't even matter. understand it, but there was something that changed in me that day that it's hard yeah, for me it, to understand. Yeah, it rocked our security as a nation, it and did. I think it doesn't matter how old you are as a child. I was 11, so I feel like I was old I was enough nine. to kind of, like, know a little bit about what was going on, but, like, it rocks regardless of whether or not you really understood what was going on. You knew that there was something going on where your life was never going to be You felt the same. a shift because yeah. everyone around you was freaking out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the reason also that I really wanted to discuss it today is because we have an asshole of a president <laughs> and his behavior is always inappropriate and he met people with a f- with fists in the air. Yeah. I saw that picture. In Pennsylvania for the memorial service Double fist bumps. Yeah, like Great. just horrible. And he met in Pennsylvania where he would be paying his respects for the fallen heroes of the United Airlines Flight 93. And on the way to the service, the president tweeted, 17 years since September 11th, exclamation point. Like, that's such a weird tweet to... I truly believe that something is really deeply wrong with him mentally. That's like such a, that, I don't understand. Like, is there not somebody who's like, let me just take no, care of your No, I mean, I don't you. think like, so. Like, exclamation point. To me, it seems you're making like it's a it celebration. Exciting. Yeah, and, and it's very strange. And I think it's already weird that in this country we don't have something that's like a collective. Like, in other countries, there's... Like, I was listening to the Daily Zeitgeist, and they were talking about um, um, 9-11, and they were saying how... Like, in Japan, to commemorate uh, 
Hiroshima, they have a nationwide moment of silence. Well, they did everyone... do a moment of silence last year. Donald Trump did on the moment that the planes hit. But this year... But we don't do it collectively as a country. Like, no, it's in, not something... In our places of work, they don't say, yeah. like, this is the moment of silence. Like, yeah. we don't do anything And there should to... be. And I think that's why, for me, like, I don't stop talking about it when it's September 11th. And it's something that is just so, like, ingrained in my mind. And I always found it so creepy that it was 911. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there was always something that was really ingrained in my brain. Yeah. So... Another tweet from from Donald Trump today. He honored Rudy Giuliani, his his lawyer, for serving uh, as mayor of New York, tweeting that Rudy is the is a true warrior. Which um, I'm like, yeah, Rudy Giuliani, man, it, it's it's horrible. Also, hold on, let's also not forget that Donald Trump. Because I was about to say that Rudy Giuliani really played this 9-11 thing to his advantage. Oh, like yeah. As far as, like, to, he became America's mayor, and he yeah. has... And he played it to be scared of other religions and other cultures and, like, Well, and it it's what to, kept him at the top of... He would be yeah. nothing without 9-11, truly. Yeah. And so, you, along that vein of, like, playing it to your advantage, let's also not forget that Donald Trump... Uh, when the plane hit the towers, do you, do you know what he said? He said that he now has the tallest building in lower Manhattan. Yes. So there is your sympathetic president. 3,000 people are dead, and what does he care about? That Trump Tower is now the tallest building in lower Manhattan. Yeah. Because the towers are down. That's who he is. It's just... Don't be tricked into thinking he fucking gives a shit about you. He doesn't. He doesn't care how many Americans die. He is the worst narcissist. Yeah. And that's all he gives a shit about. And it just, it's one of those things for me that if you're not an American, I'm sure that you have your own sort of understanding of a tragedy like this. But I feel like there's, you always know somebody who knows somebody or know somebody who was somehow directly very much affected by this. Right. I mean, and And it's such a, to have such an an emotional investment and to hear somebody else who was not only an American, our president, but somebody who was right there. Right. Right there. And probably knew people who were pretty directly affected. And Um, he he says that he knows a thousand people that were there. And and I think it does speak to our privilege a, a tiny bit that I understand it might make us sound like shitty Americans given the things that happen in other countries, but for us, we felt, I think America, in maybe some of our arrogance, felt so fucking secure. And untouchable. And untouchable. Because we were always told that America is the greatest country in the world, and and that's how I was raised to believe. For this to happen, where there was like a bombing in one of our iconic buildings in one of the biggest cities in our country. That killed so many. It was... It, it just rocked all of our security. Yeah. Like, no one ever really felt, like, safe again. Yeah. You know? And look at and look at where... What has happened to our country since. Yeah. I don't think that we've ever felt... Well, that was the beginning safe. of that kind of, like, Islamophobia. It made it okay it's, for you to be, like... Well, and... and America it, first. America first. USA. True, USA. But, USA. But it also... I just don't feel like we've ever felt... 
we've always just felt threatened and we've never felt safe since as a country where I grew up so naive and so patriotic. Oh, of course. Of course. I'm, yeah. With this episode, I'm going to post a photo of the poem that I wrote at the first anniversary of 9-11 because like little Maddie did very well. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty beautiful actually. Um, but he, um, Donald Trump also claims that he heard the people across the Hudson River in New Jersey cheering, the Muslim people Which cheering. Which is a fucking lie. There's no evidence. There's no evidence that. he's lying about that. And and to speak further on that, Rudy Giuliani says that he didn't see Hillary Clinton. She didn't show up at Ground Zero, and there are pictures of them together. Yeah. There's pictures of Rudy Giuliani walking through Ground Zero with, with Hillary Clinton right behind him. Yeah. So... You, yeah, it's... It's something that I feel as tragic as it is, as it is, it's important for the future generations to understand why it's important. And I asked the kid that I nannied for today, I said, did you learn anything today about what, what this day means? And he said, no, granted he's in first grade, it might be a little bit much for first graders. But I, I did tell him a little bit about what today means because he has an interest in that kind of stuff and in history, he really wants to know everything like that. And I don't think that we should necessarily be shielding our children, you know, shield them from graphic details. The horror, but also... But they need to understand um, the things that happened before and after and how our country has changed. And how the world has changed. Because that war in Iraq that we went into after this, which... I I still... He always asks me to explain the war. And I'm like, I don't... He's like, who won? And I'm like, no No one won. won. No one won. It's hard for me to explain because I'm like, they used this attack as a a means for a war. As an excuse. Because George Bush... The second, like, George W. wanted a war because his father always wanted a war, and he never got a war. So he was like, this time right. to make a mark. And he did, and he was a piece of fucking shit. And the fact that I'm saying, oh, at least George Bush was better than Donald Trump is such fucking horseshit. Right. Well, I mean, I think the issue with, with George Bush was that it, it was, George Bush was dumb. It was the people around him that pushed for that. It was like Donald yeah. Donald Rumsfeld and, and those Donald people. Donald Trump is also pretty dumb and it's the people surrounding him that Right, are they enable him, him, but but also Donald Trump wants it. I you know, I, yeah. I think it's different. Not that he it makes wants it the any notoriety. better. Not that it makes it any better, but it's the fact that 9/11 not only changed the landscape for the United States, but it changed the landscape for the world because yeah. it got us in we destabilized we effectively, because of this, destabilized oh, an entire region. We did. You know? Well, and, like, it was economically so damaging. Like, it, we still have not recovered. There's been so many things, you know, we as a country are before and post 9-11. You know what I mean? Like, you really can see Right. I mean, I think, I think we're... You know, this veers off just a tiny bit, but I think we're before and post 9-11 and before and post the 2008 stock market crash. Yeah. Those two things combined really did destroy a lot of what we consider to be, yeah. like, the American dream. Because the stock market crash destroyed what little we had left yeah. of kind of, like, a middle-class economy. Yeah, you know? which, you know, there was a seven-year difference, but to me, I just, the way that I imagined it in my head, it was kind of one on top of the other. Because well, we were still in, like, I graduated high school in 2008, so for me, it was still all lumped into my childhood. Yeah, you know? like, agreed. Um, so agreed. do you have, uh, yeah, to close this out, do you want to tell a story? Of- yeah, well, we're both going to kind of share our personal memories of 9-11 and so for me I as I mentioned before I went to Catholic school for most of my childhood and we always had prayer circle in the morning and 
I'm not very religious anymore, but there is still something about prayer and the power of prayer, and especially as a child. Power of fellowship, too, like community. Right. Well, I, I struggle from severe anxiety, and um, as a kid, had really bad separation anxiety from my mom, who actually worked at my school, which made things actually really difficult. And um, I just remember having prayer circle and prayer time be a time that I could be very introspective and pray for my mom and pray for me and um, feel a sense of calm. And I just remember my principal, Mrs. Schmidt, coming in. My teacher was Mrs. Johnson and saying that planes had hit the Twin Towers. So for me, I'm like, it's a plane crash. Like, what's the big deal? Like, it's sad. Like, it was horrible. But I right. didn't understand what the didn't big deal was. Didn't have a frame of reference for the Twin Towers. Like, Yeah, and I. everything that happened or whatever. So I just remember my teacher, Mrs. Johnson, she was an older woman, very sweet, so gentle and so kind, sitting down and just suddenly having an intention for us to be praying. We didn't go around the circle and say what we were praying for. We didn't have any sort of um, personal thing. She just had us all. We took several moments. It felt like a very long time. And I remember the room was dark and she would always have candles lit. And it was very, like, very seancey almost, you know. And I just remember feeling so confused and hurt. And then, like I said, my mom worked as a lunch lady at my school and I asked her what was going on. And she was like, you know, we'll talk about it when we get home. And when I got home, she was making jewelry at her jewelry table and we had this tiny little television and it was replaying it over and over and over again. And I knew that there was something wrong because everyone was talking about it at school, but seeing it for the first time, um, rocked my world. And going to school the next day and hearing everybody say that we're going to go to war, you know, my tragic mind, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to like, we're going to be in the the depression again. We're not going to have any sugar. We're going to war. You know, like it it freaked me out. And, um, it it was so, it was so jarring to me and I was so scared. I didn't want to live that life. I think it's interesting that you guys weren't sent home. No. You guys were not sent home from school. That's interesting. Um, It's interesting because um, Chris's dad is NYPD. Chris was sent mm-hmm. home because he grew up in the, in the Bronx. Well, I mean, I was in small town Missouri, and they sent they sent them home. I yeah. say them because all right. So here's here's my nine eleven story, which I only think is interesting because of the crazy random happenstance that I was not at school that day. Really, I was not at school that day because I had pink eye. <gasps> I had pink eye, and I remember very distinctly. So. The night before, I don't know if it was someone's birthday or something, but we went to the park. And my mom had left her keys, like, had left them in the, lost them somewhere in the grass or something. So I was home from school because I had pink eye, but my mom let me go with her to the park the next morning, in the morning, to go look for her keys. So I went with her in the morning, and we were looking for her keys, looking for them. I think we finally found them. We got back in the car. My mom turned on the car, and the radio was like, this thing has happened. Yeah. Right? Which was weird, because we have the radio on... It wasn't on talk radio. It was on so like top the radio, either. right? Yeah. And so you have, like, these radio DJs whose job it is now to convey to you that, like, this terrible thing has happened. Yeah. So I remember my mom starting the car and then kind of, like, stopping. Yeah. And, like, listening. And I was kind of like, what? Yeah, I had the same reaction. Like, what? What is? What is the meaning behind this? What's wrong? Like, obviously, it's weird that like obviously they're giving us news, which is strange. But I, I kind of didn't take it all in. And then she drove home. Like, I shouldn't really say she was just like she was 
scared or worried or, yeah. or whatever. But didn't really talk that much. We got home. She immediately went in and turned on the TV. Yeah. And then it was the same thing. It was like every channel you went to, it was over That footage is ingrained in my mind. Right. And, like, I remember my mom was crying. We were living with my aunt at the time. My aunt came home. She was crying. My cousins were at school. They got let out of school, and they came home. Yeah. And I remember for the next day or two, because I don't think I went to school the next day either, because I was still sick, it was literally, I don't know that we turned the TV off. It was like yeah. the TV was on the entire time. Everyone was in, it was nonstop 9-11 footage. Like, that's yeah. all you watched. And I remember when we went to go pick up my cousins from school... We were in a small town. Again, we were in a small town, about 3,000 people. Yeah. And we went to go pick up my cousins from school, and people were panicking. The The gas prices were up to $5. Yeah. And we're talking about 2001, where gas prices were like... A dollar. (laughs) In in small town Missouri, yeah, you're talking a dollar, typically. Gas prices were $5, and cars were around the corner, because people were like, we're going to go to war... Um, oil prices are going to skyrocket. Gas yeah. prices are going to skyrocket. People were panicking. They were, like, going and filling up. It was so scary to me that the initial thing was, like, war. And I was like, ah, I don't want to go to war. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really scary. And I, I just remember that because it was such a weird way to find that out. Yeah. And I wasn't at school, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, it was weird. There was something about being at school where I didn't get all the information right away. And our teacher just kind of had to go on with things as normal, and you know, I don't know. It was it was a it was such a weird day, and a, there's a lot of things that happened afterwards that I remember really really clearly, and that I think is kind of the birth of my political activism in a way, and uh, realizing that our government is corrupt and knowing that this war was wrong and not wanting it to happen, and hearing from my mom and dad some very progressive conversations and um i would love to hear from my mom what her memories of that day are um you know because she's a grown adult at that yeah time. it's it's one of those things where like if you are alive if you were alive at that time and you have a memory you will never forget it it's the same thing whenever like older generations talk about how like you will never forget where you were when kennedy was shot yeah exactly it's, it's, you will never forget where you were when 9-11 happened yeah like, and it's, it's something that i reflect on every year and i think it's important because while we shouldn't just always dwell on the bad things i think it's important for us to remember and to carry on that story of what happened and to remember the three thousand people that died and the amazing people who fought for uh our, for their lives in that time time to save as many people as they could right and we cannot forget the horrible things that have happened but we also need to be forever hopeful and thankful yeah for the people who have done yeah. good things absolutely so absolutely so i yeah. know that this has been a little bit of a longer one and kind of an unusual what's in the news episode because we talked a little bit about news and then yeah kind of ref- it was really reflective but on- i think i think it's very important for all of us yeah to reflect and, and you know what I am so fascinated by um, where you were at 9-11 stories. So if you have those that you want to share with us, please, please write those in because I do think it's interesting. It's affected people differently in different ways. I know there was um, a a Twitter hashtag and... uh, 
thread and a chain that went around about people who wear hijab or Middle Eastern people and what their experience was life like oh after 9 11. I can't And um, how, how tough that was, too. Yeah. So. I want to hear about that. It affected everyone differently. Yeah. So if you have oh those gosh. stories, please, please write those into us. We want to read them. Yeah. Um, we want to kind of bond with you guys over those things. Yeah. It's it's a scary thing and yeah. it's a sad thing on, on so many fronts. I remember so. I had to go on a plane a month later because my golden birthday present when I was nine was to go to Disney World. Uh-huh. And I was so scared to get on a plane. Yeah, I, I mean, so it, everything was so destabilized. Yeah. And, um, so definitely write us in. Please do. You know, write those stories in. Write your sister solidarity stories in. Basically, anything that you want to talk to yeah, us about. Yeah, I mean, we are still taking coming out stories. Absolutely. Too, Motherhood stories still. Yeah. Whatever you guys want to send us, honestly, like, we don't really have many stipulations right now about what we're taking. We just want to hear from you guys. And um, your stories, I think, really do make this show and I think they really do help a lot of people so don't feel like whatever you have to say isn't enough always send it in yeah totally totally we want to make you a part of this whole experience absolutely so. um so you can email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com you can also find us on Instagram um we post a lot there that's probably where the, we're the that's most active and you can DM us at angry neighborhood feminist um, you can get us on Facebook, Twitter at Yamf Podcast, Y A N F Podcast, and yeah, we just look forward to hearing from you. We hope that um, this kind of chatty episode was was cool with you guys. It was helpful, I think, for us yes, to do. It, it so was, it was good feelings. It was good, good for us to do, kind of cathartic. So yes, I guess. With that being said, thank you for not stepping on my line. I didn't. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I just like to give you a hard time. You guys, I love Kate. I never actually be mean to her. With that being said, we encourage you to To rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.